Hey everybody, welcome to Expiration Date. I'm Michelle. And I'm David. We are going to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to bring you a special episode where David and I are just going to try to have a conversation. This next episode we were supposed to do is about for-profit businesses in every level of the criminal legal system, and it was a big episode. However, this week we wanted to talk a little bit just between the two of us about the trial of Derek Chauvin. We'll release that other episode coming up in the next couple of weeks. So David, did you uh, gather some thoughts about the Derek Chauvin trial? Is that what I was supposed to do? Yes. Oh, I did. I've gathered some thoughts you about did. it. <laughs> <laughs> Properly gathered. Yeah. So I'll admit to you, I I watched it live on the internet when they announced his verdict. And I sat there and I watched him and because the camera was just on him the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted him to be guilty. I wanted him to be a, a symbol for having to... Um, to stand up for some of the, what have been the perceived injustices that have gone throughout the world for people of color and minorities and police brutality. And I'm watching his face and I, all I see is his eyes and his nose. You know, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't see his other stuff. And Mm -hmm. I'm watching his eyes flirt from the, the jury to the judge and the jury to the judge. And there's this weird, like cornered weak animal type of thing as, as they keep announcing it. And uh, I felt sorry for him. I don't know. It was sad. It's definitely sad. But more so than me feeling sorry for him, I felt odd. Wait, you felt sorry for Derek Chauvin? I did. But more so than that, I felt sorry for my reaction to that. Like, why did I feel sorry for him? Like, what, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It was was an empathy I had with him at that point. Yeah. And I think you're just an empathetic person. And it's hard to watch. Well... And I completely disavow the actions that he did in every single way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead with with your thoughts, which I'm sure they are. Well, I kind of had this reaction. So, and I'm totally willing to take pushback on this because I haven't thought this through like I normally think through okay. our episodes. This is kind of a gut reaction. I don't think this is much of anything. I don't think it's... In what context? I don't think it's going to be... Because I hear... Like I was watching... I switch back and forth between MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News. Just to see what's... Because that's kind of the corporate media that dictates the conversation in our country. And Fox News was playing... (laughs) Fox News was like playing videos of... Viral videos that you can see on YouTube of bears chasing people in like Minnesota. Or not Minnesota. What? No. Bears chasing people in Montana. However... (laughs) And like CNN and MSNBC were hero worshiping George Floyd, mm-hmm. saying Derek Chauvin is the greatest evil to have ever walked the earth, and this is a huge, huge win for stopping police violence. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to change because of this. I think, sure, it is a small victory that he's going to jail. It's a small victory that the judge revoked his bail and he's going to spend time awaiting sentencing in jail, but I would be surprised if he got more than 10 years. Yeah. And even on all three counts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. What do I know? But I don't know. And I, I would be shocked if he got more than 10 years, which doesn't matter. Right. It's 10 years one, is a long time. Yeah. And it, and it, when you go back and look at, 
it feels like it's nothing, but when you go back and look at just the news coverage from the trial, one thing I want you to be thinking about is I tell you the story that I wrote to tell you how many times was the coverage of the trial interrupted to tell us that another kid had mm-hmm. been killed by the cops. Right. How many times did that happen? And I want you to kind of think about that as we talk about this other story, not connected at all, but it can help you think through some things. And I want you to think about if you said to yourself, man, I'm just, can they, can, now, that, now that this trial's over, can't they just stop with all this stuff? Like, can't, can't we just go back to normal? Can't we, Donald can, Trump's not president anymore. Can can't black we just, lives not matter anymore? <laughs> Is that the question? <laughs> yeah. Let's set that aside. Because I have heard people having this conversation of mm. this was a huge victory. You know, we're going to pass all this police reform, which kind of to me sounds like they're just giving more money for training to mm. police departments. But we can talk about that later. But it's just, I mean, I think it's good that he's going to jail. Yeah. I guess that's about it. One thing that makes this different, you may address this, was the video that was taken. So. It mentioned something about how this may happen on a more on a wider basis, but we don't have that bystander video, and that was kind of a real damning evidence for mm-hmm. that too. So during the trial itself, I know of two separate stories where a person was attacked by the police for filming them. One case, a guy was standing on his own porch. Oh no! Yeah. Wow. So that doesn't seem right. That's literally the only reason we have what we have on George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Because, or we have the outcome. It's my understanding that 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 wasn't Officer Chauvin's first, like, kill. Murder? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Yeah. And we are going to talk about that later in the episode. Um, However, I do want you to remember that most of the footage that the prosecution played was filmed by other people, not body cam footage. In the body cam footage, you really can't see everything that you can see. I don't think body cam footage is really designed for that. I think it's designed to to say that people are being accountable and listening, but really, I mean, it's not. Well, and studies show it doesn't reduce violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. It's good. A lot of the times the f- body cam footage is not released. And in many cases, it's voluntary whether the police release it or not. Right. So. Well, let's, let's hear what you got. Before we get into more about the trial, I do want to tell you a story. On June 19th, 2017, the Milwaukee Police Department congratulated Officer John Balserzak on his retirement and his decades-long career as a police officer and president of the Milwaukee Police Association. And writer Dana Schwartz noticed something about that name. Because in the spring of 1991, Officer Balserzak was dispatched to a call where he arrived on the scene. He saw three women of color arguing with a clean-cut white man. There was a young man in the middle of them, obviously intoxicated, naked, and bleeding. Officer Balsersack described the women as loud and disruptive, and the man as cooperative and soft-spoken. He made sense. The man told the officers that the young man was his 19-year-old lover and that he had overindulged on alcohol. He would take him back to their apartment and make sure he didn't cause any more trouble. The women continued to protest. Officer Balsersack threatened to arrest them if they did not calm down. They claimed they recognized the boy, that he was not with this man willingly, and that something was wrong. John did not believe them. He and his partner escorted the quote-unquote lovers back to his apartment. Charmed by the young man, but disgusted with his lifestyle, they wanted to get out of there as fast as possible. John's partner, 
thought that there might be something more troubling because he smelled something foul coming from the apartment, but John insisted that everything was fine and that there should be no more trouble out of those two that night. Another woman called the police department six more times, insisting that they go back and check on the boy. She was silenced and ignored. That night, Jeffrey Dahmer continued to rape and torture 14-year-old Conorak Synthesophon. Though he had briefly escaped, Conorak was then murdered, dismembered, and saved to be eaten. The foul odor coming from the apartment was another body rotting in Dahmer's bed. Had the officers bothered to check, they would have realized that Dahmer was on probation for child molestation at the time of his contact with Officer Balsersack. But they did not bother to check. The word of this white man was so trustworthy, none of them needed to do anything beyond take his word. Between his contact with the officers to his later arrest in July of the same year, he killed four more young men. I am telling you this story because the police officer's casual racism, casual misogyny, and casual homophobia let in so much violence. After Dahmer's arrest, this story made the news. Balsersack was unrepentant in interviews. He was later fired by the police department after a public outcry. After the outcry died down, he was quietly rehired about a year later and went on to continue being a police officer until his retirement in 2017. He will live the rest of his days comfortably in retirement with a generous pension. Why am I telling you this story? Is it because I got Milwaukee and Minneapolis mixed up? Maybe, yes. However, the point still stands. When you dig into what seems to be a good cop, don't be surprised by what you find. Derek Chauvin's behavior was not new. He had knelt on the necks of many other people before he killed George. He had shot other people before. He had killed other people before. Back to my original point. While I was watching the coverage of the trial, that there was interruption after interruption that police had killed again and again and again. If you are sick of all this coverage of cops killing people, take a guess about how many have died at the hands of police since testimony began on March 29th to the day that the jury read the verdict on April 20th. 23 days. How many people do you think died? How many can you think of? Between March 23rd and... Between March 29th and April 20th. 23 days. Oh, well, let's see. Five. I've had, so I've asked, I think, four people this question. So you guessed five, another person guessed 10, and I think the other two guessed 11. Mm -hmm. It's 65. What? (laughs) They've killed 65 people in those 23 days. More than half of them were people of color, and a significant number of them were unarmed children. Most of them don't even make the local news. This isn't new. This is on trend with previous years. As we have talked about on this podcast, since 2015, the Washington Post has been logging every police killing in America. From when they started recording to the recording of this particular pod, this podcast, this episode, the police have killed 6,223 people, many unarmed, many in a mental crisis, many are fleeing, many are children. As we have also said many times on this podcast, the amount of people incarcerated or killed by the state is the worst in the world. It's the worst in the history of the world. While I was watching the Derek Chauvin trial, I kept hearing the prosecution say over and over again, Derek Chauvin acted 
in a way that police are not supposed to act. He acted in a way that police are, should not act. This is not who we are. This is not what police are. And I'm telling you, it is. It is what police are. This is who we are. Derek Chauvin is not an aberration. He represents policing in America. The only reason he is in jail is because of the people on the street. And they knew that if they didn't convict him, they would burn their city down. Hmm. They are trying to turn this into a victory, and I am not sure that it is. It is a small piece of justice, yes, but we have got to keep fighting. We have got to keep going. 65 people in the time, in 23 days, all while the world was watching this trial, demanding that they stop. They continued to do it. They will continue to do it unless we keep fighting. And another thing I want to say to my more liberally-minded friends, George Floyd is not a hero. He was not somebody who sacrificed himself for the greater good. He was a guy that was struggling just like everybody else. He was just trying to go home, and he died on the street calling for his mom. If the media turns him into a hero, it lets you demonize the ones that don't make the news. I don't care if he was on drugs. I don't care if he had a heart condition. I don't care if he was fleeing. I don't care if he was resisting. Stop killing people. It reminds me of continual conversations we have was as far as firearms go and you know every everything happens and you think of i mean think of sandy hook and the atrocities that were there with the elementary school and the call for change and the fact that nothing really happened and in that same time of 23 days between when the trial started and when the verdict was announced there have been what eight or nine mass shootings mm -hmm. in the United States. But yeah, it's, it seems like every other day there's another mass shooting or a killing by police. America is a really violent place. And we've been over this on this podcast many times. I just don't want people to feel like that this was some huge turning point. Turning point. Cause I'm, I, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I, I would love to be wrong mm -hmm. about that. I would love for this to be a, and everybody's like, we haven't seen protests like this since the 60s. Do you know how much the prison industrial complex has grown since the 60s? And those protests weren't, I mean, those protests were multi-year protests mm -hmm. that lasted for a long time. Yeah. And the change was was incremental. Mm -hmm. And even then, the change was something we're still dealing with 50 years later. Well, and people will say like, oh, did, did you want like. Do you think that it's not good that segregation ended? Well, sure, but segregation didn't end. Right. We're still a remarkably segregated country. Mm -hmm. We have more of our black population locked up than they did during the height of apartheid in South Africa. We are still very segregated. Yeah, it's it, this isn't a good place. This is not a good place. and you, it's You can't just say this is the way it is and have it be that way. There's a difference between passing laws and saying stuff is done and then actually seeing the change, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And we, we saw when the verdict was announced that there were celebrations throughout the country, but there were also cries for 
continuance. Mm -hmm. Former President Barack Obama said this is great, but this is just a step. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. This is a step. And so if we're if we're looking at this to be the end, to put it aside and go back to life as normal, we never I mean, we're not there is no normal. There is no post COVID back to normal. Mm -hmm. There is no post George Floyd back to normal. We always have to accept what it is and find our new normal. I used to think I had a high emotional intelligence and then sometimes I realized that I just don't understand that, that, that I don't. <laughs> and so, but to me, the, when they would show pictures of people that were in the street protesting and when they heard the verdict, I didn't see much rejoicing. I saw a lot of relief. Mm -hmm. I saw a lot of deep breaths and cries of pain. I'm not sure that's what joy is maybe I don't understand what joy is, but that a lot of that looked like relief to me. And I don't know. I, and I, I'm not, I, please don't misunderstand that I'm saying that what, that this guy, that Derek Chauvin going to jail is a bad thing. I, I do believe that it was a good thing, but this fight is far, far, far from over. Right. And I don't want people to think that, like, well, because the George Floyd case was going on, you know, the police had to be really, people were attacking the police and they had to be really violent. It's not the case. They, this is, their, the, their killings this year have matched the previous five years. Like, it's not. Yeah, it's about an average of, what, 1,000 to 1,200 people a year mm -hmm. were killed by police. Mm -hmm. Anywhere from 900 to 1,200 people every year. Since, mm -hmm. And here's the problem. We don't have the data going back more than five years because most of the reporting of police violence and police shootings is done by police departments. And in many cases it's voluntary. And so really what the Washington post is doing is unique and it's good because they get, they draw from so social media, people send it to them. Reporters dig for this information. It's not freely available. I tried to find it anywhere else, but there and couldn't. The FBI doesn't have anything like that. Or anything. The FBI does report some, but the reporting to the FBI is in many cases voluntary. So it's very underreported. Well, I think that's a, a good evidence of a growing change is that we're finding that accountability, right? That it the information is more accessible. Mm -hmm. When we know about it, when it's in front of our face, then we can deal with it and find out how to address it, mm -hmm. whether it's through police reform or that kind of stuff. I've been hearing a lot of people say things like, well, who's armed and who's unarmed and all this stuff. And it's like the police have the tools to protect themselves and to deal with armed people. I'm not saying there has never been a justified case of police killing someone. However, this what this is is not that. That's not. And I mean, if you want to say, oh, well, they had a knife in their hand or I don't know. I mean, if you're going to start saying that people with knives that come at cops should be killed, you lose the Apostle Peter. So you on that <laughs> have you heard of the term suicide by police mm -hmm. suicide by cop yeah mm -hmm. i think it's i think it does happen however i think it's dangerous for people to think that when somebody has a gun or a knife and they're killed by police that that was that person's choice hmm. it's hard to know especially when we have evidence of many reasons when it, it didn't go that way, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the language of abusers. You made me hurt you. Mm -hmm. That's that's your fault. You made me hurt you is a very, I mean, that's abuse 101 is how you, 
That's how you justify it. Manipulate. Mm-hmm. So mm. what I'm saying is, is we're in an abusive relationship with the police. And I don't think that that is, should be controversial at all to anyone that listens to this podcast. America has an abusive relationship with cops. And last time we talked about how they bring that violence home. And they do. And it's not good for them. It's not good for us. I feel, I do, I get it. I get that you feel sorry for Derek Chauvin. His life is over and he's going to be miserable. And yeah, a part of me is like, oh good, he should be miserable, but it's not going to fix anything. Right. Right. And I'll say, I mean, I, I'm glad that he's being held accountable for that. And I'm glad that other police officers are seeing that he's being held accountable for that. And even if it just kind of twitches in their mind before something happens, that this is a possibility that Mm -hmm. this could be one of a lot more instances where cops are held accountable. And if they're able to get rid of qualified immunity, I think that would be good. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about all the other people in jobs that have responsibilities that they are held responsible for Mm -hmm. in civil situations and criminal situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is where our fault is. We abdicate a lot of our responsibility to police officers mm-hmm. because we are scared mm-hmm. or unwilling to deal with some of that stuff. Well, and we don't have to deal with it. Every interaction I've had with the cops has been nothing but pleasant. They've right. always been nice to me, always been helpful to me. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is it's just not a reality for a lot of communities. And hmm. an officer that treats a white lady nicely might also kill a black man because people are complicated. And when you're just a little bit racist and a little bit of a misogynist and a little bit of a homophobe, you can be responsible for a lot of things that you didn't sign up for. That's why that story was so striking to me because it's like if they just would have looked, if they just would have believed those women if they just would have listened to them or humored them and even just checked on who that guy might have been and that this guy wasn't a 19-year-old who was there voluntarily. He was a drugged 14-year-old. I don't know. It's just... seems like there was the non-following of protocols that should happen with that. Well, and that's what that's what they justified firing them is because they didn't check and they didn't do it. But, I mean... It's too late now. Yeah. How many times has this happened that we don't hear about? And it's a lot. Because mm-hmm. we heard about, I mean, the most I got of the people that I polled, and this is people who care about police violence. This is people who watched at least some of the coverage of the Floyd trial. It's, it's, I mean, sure, 11 is a lot, but it was really 65. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I don't know. And when you go through the database of the Washington Post, half of those 65 are unidentified person, unidentified person. And it's like, we don't even know their names. The people that are watching don't even know their names. It's a lot to think about. It is. It's a lot to sit in. Well, we were talking about that Tyler Childers song and I think that's the only source I'm going to put on today's episode the other stuff was just a quick google search away if you want to see the story about the the Dahmer guy or the 65 people killed by police it's not hard to google however 
I do want everybody to listen to that song. It's it's by Tyler Childers. It's called Long Violent History. And basically he's asking if this was your neighborhood, if this was your people, if this was how, and I think he says, how many boys could they drag off this mountain? Because he's a kind of a bluegrassy guy. How long would it take for us to stand up and say no more? And to do so in some cases violently. And I think it's less than 65. What are your closing thoughts, David? <laughs> My heart hurts for the whole situation. My heart hurts for those who were murdered. My heart hurts for the police officers who have killed someone because I know that their life will also be different. And my heart hurts for our system that allows that for the responsibility that we don't take for the responsibility we so freely give to other people because I think we're all a little bit culpable in these kind of situations. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, action or inaction on everyone's part that has caused this. And so what I want to do is be reflective. I want to figure out who I need to call, who I need to talk to, what do I need to say to make a change? And this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm in this, this project with you is because the first thing we have to do is know. Mm -hmm. And when we know, then we have a responsibility to act. Mm -hmm. And if we don't act, then that inaction is something that speaks just as loudly as yelling, Mama, Mama, mm -hmm. I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. We really know who we are through the traumas that are perpetrated by the police mm -hmm. in the prison industrial complex. Well, not to get too religiously on people, but... There's a few things that come from the scriptures that I was raised on that say you will know them by their fruits and however you treat the people that are the most marginalized in your community is how you're treating Christ. And it's not good, folks. It's not good. It is not good. We're not doing a good job. We're failing. And I don't know that any of us are going to get out of this without blood on our hands. And I think that people think that this was a victory, and that is good. And in some ways it is, but please don't mistake relief for joy. <laughs>